Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast, concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer for Ayrton Lighting as well as columnists for LD at Large for PLSN. I hope everybody's enjoying the monthly articles. Uh, normally, I do about one to two podcasts a month, but given the, the slowdown in the industry that everybody has been aware of by now, I'm sure I feel like it was a good time to really step it up and reach out to all my, my best, best friends in the industry. So today I have a Megan Metcalf from rural Oregon. Uh, she is the production and lighting design at Megan Metcalf Productions, LLC. You may have seen her work on Metric or the Dixie Chicks. Thanks so much for making time, Megan. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, the last time we got to hang out was at LDI, and uh, I know that we had planned on a few other meetups coming up, but it doesn't look like we're going to get to do anything like that in the, in the foreseeable future. Well, I think we're all in for some uh, digital meetups now, and uh, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> I just had a, a wonderful Zoom meeting with all the people uh, talking about how we can maintain our mental health, and uh, it turned out really very beneficial. I mean, there was like 60 people on Zoom, and it's been such a, a tool that I've never used before, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm interested to see with like everybody being isolated and um, we all need to stay connected, how we're going to continue to stay connected via, you know, these these digital means. And just I think it's going to be interesting. I think you're going to see a lot of new creative uses that we haven't seen yet. So um, I think there could be some good that comes out of this. There is no replacement for human touch and physical interaction and uh, seeing other people's body language, but that's just not available to us right now. So we have to make do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, I think we've all felt a little bit isolated through technology and I think we're going to find some ways to feel more connected through technology. And I think that's kind of hopeful. Yeah, I feel like it was just two or three weeks ago where we were all kind of encouraging each other to go out and, hang out with our friends and family and now we've just been almost mandated to do so <laughs> yeah <laughs> hard reset everybody no really hang out with your family do it really else. stay home <laughs> so here we are and luckily you and i are in a fairly uh, fortunate place that we live far off the beaten path we by a little bit of social isolation is not that entirely different. No, this, um, it's interesting living where I do. I kind of live in like a recreation hub. And over the last week, since they've shut down schools here in Oregon, it seems busier around my town than it normally does. <laughs> and I kind of think everybody else is experiencing the opposite where they go outside and they're like, what's going on? Like there's nobody around and, and here like, I'm not used to seeing anybody when I'm out on the trails and like, I have to be like pretty um, mindful of where I'm seeing cars and, and trying to make sure that, you know, we're still staying apart from each other. So you're far enough out of the city that your, your community actually gets busier when the city's closed. Yeah. I don't know it's, if it's the city being closed, but I think it's, you know, everybody is trapped inside their houses and it's, we've actually had really nice weather. It's supposed to be, you know, the rainy time of year in Oregon and we've had like 60 degree sunny days for the last month. And so, um, I think everybody's just using that time to 
to get out of the house because there's only so much you can, you know, sitting around the house you can do. But uh, yeah, we're, I mean, we're probably seeing some traffic from, from people in the city getting out here too. I can't really say, but yeah. And you're outside of Portland? I'm outside of Eugene. Outside of Eugene. Got it. Yeah. So even smaller. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I like to, to say it's a, uh, it's a, it's a one stop light to light to weed shop town. So it's, it's very classic <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine the weed shops are pretty busy these days. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I wouldn't have to take a look at a map, but I think we're probably at the same latitude. I'm in, I'm in Stony Point, Ontario, which is surprisingly far south of what people think of what Canada is. I'm, I'm right about the, the same latitude as Detroit. Okay. So. I know we're really, we're somewhere just under the 45th. Okay. Um, that's between me and me and Portland. So, so, yeah. We moved up here kind of trying to get away from the city, which uh, as far as my, as far as our industry goes, was kind of a, a big leap. We left Las Vegas in 2016 and I had always felt so comfortable living in Las Vegas because there was no shortage of work and moving out to a small town in there, there's no safety net up here. Sure. Do you find that to be the case for you as well? Yeah, and I, that was a very conscious part of my decision to to be able to move out to where I live. Um, was just knowing that I had I had had a steady flow for several years of being on tour, and I wasn't work I wasn't even working locally when I wasn't. So um, it kind of felt like my decision was like, well, as long as I can be within forty five minutes of a you know decent airport, then I'm fine, and that that has proven to be the case. I moved out here in in 2015. So, you know, kind of similar timing to you. Um, and I have to say, like, I, I have no regrets about it. It's, it's been wonderful for me, um, both creatively and mentally and, um, health wise. Um, I think it's been great all around. Do you ever have clients that get kind of frustrated about flying you out of a smaller airport? Um, I mean, from time to time, I'll get a little bit of flack for how expensive it is. And maybe I'll get asked to, to not fly on my preferred airline, but generally it's not that big of a deal. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's harder on me than it is on them. The, the 6am flights are, are really tough. I have a, I have a dog, so I have to board him the night before and basically stay down in, in Eugene, um, which I generally just I'll just rent myself an Airbnb. I don't ask the client to do it um, since it's my choice to live where I do. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, you know, that's a process. It is a process, but uh, you know, sometimes I do think about maybe living somewhere. Uh, I, I would still like to live outside the city, but maybe somewhere where like outside of Salt Lake or something like that, where you're closer to a major airport. Um, Cause Flying regional is, is tough. Um, I, my first flight generally takes me to LA or, or Phoenix. Um, and so I still have to get across the country on my next leg um, if I'm going East Coast. So it, it, it makes for some really long travel days. Um, but, um, you know, I think overall it's worth it to have a place to come home to where it's just like total decompression. Do you find it more inspiring to be out uh, far away from anything that is that resembles a city? I think I find inspiration in both places. Um, like I try and take advantage of my time in the city. And I think not living in a city that, that like helps me really enjoy my time out on tour and wanting to go to museums and do the things and tr while I'm traveling, which I kind of got a little bit jaded on um, for a little while. Um, but um, yeah, I also find a ton of inspiration out in nature and I think really the thing that's the best for me is just like my, the best way for me to process like anxiety around like designs and, and creating new ideas and whatnot is to get out and move. So whether that's like going for a hike or, or going for a run or something like that, just anything like that. Anytime I hit a roadblock in a design, just like grab the dog and go hit a trail and about an hour in, I probably have the, the problem solved and I'm feeling a lot better. That sounds way healthier than a, a smoke break on a, on a rooftop <laughs> somewhere. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, 
I enjoy being out here because I feel like we can have the best of both worlds. We have to work a little extra for it. Uh, a lot of I my flights. I don't think we have to work extra for it. Meaning the fact that I don't get to have the direct flight to Las Vegas like I used to. Now I have yeah. to have at least three connecting flights. And I usually get home about midnight, whereas I used to get home at 6 p.m., you know, and I'd still be home in time for dinner after a tour. Yeah. I whereas think now that's I have true. to I have to connect through Toronto to Windsor Airport or I gotta go to Detroit and then drive across the border. And it's just those small inconveniences that you have to deal with to actually have the best of both worlds for me. Yeah, I'll agree with that. But I also would say that just because overhead is so much lower living outside of the city, like you have the ability to take more time off. You don't have to constantly be filling your schedule. And so I do think I get more time at home, even if my travel days are rough. Ooh, that's a that's an unforeseen benefit there. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't take advantage of it for a long time, and unfortunately, I took advantage of it last year when I probably should have been working, not knowing we were all about to be furloughed for <laughs> however long. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think you do have the ability to have more of of, of a work life balance because I, I don't know how people do it in you know paying rent in New York, knowing you know like. We make decent money, but like that rent is really expensive. And why spend the money on all that rent if you can't even be there, you know? Yeah. I especially feel bad for the people that have roommates to pay for all that storage while they're out and about thinking that they'll never be home. And now we're all home. (laughs) Oh, yeah. My roommates are really shitty. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> I thought it was a great living setup because I never lived there. Yeah. Uh, well, now you yeah. now you're dependent. You're you're living real close to all your roommates now. I, oh man! Anybody who's listening who's in that situation, we feel for you. It's it's a place to be. You made a great decision based on the information that we all had at the, at the time. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I am grateful to not be holed up with a roommate right now. Um, <laughs> it's. It's nice uh, being able to have have your own place. Uh, so, what are you going to do with your downtime without a roommate? Are you going to? I would imagine you're going to soak up some Wi-Fi and soak up some uh, some some dog walk time. Yes, lots of hiking. You know, I'm trying to do my best with social distancing, but I do live alone. So, like wanting to actually be around people is is uh, you know something we all want to do, and I, I feel like that can responsibly be done while outside. So, yeah, hiking with friends um, is something that I'm trying to do several times a week, and certainly like my dog and I always get out twice a day, um, no matter what. So. I'm generally out on the trails for at least an hour to two hours. Um, I've definitely taken to more running um, and a lot more just kind of physical activity to to kind of deal with some of the anxiety surrounding all of this uh, downturn and, you know, upheaval, whatever you want to call it. But uh, so, yeah, lots of Lots of yoga, lots of lots of running. Um, I've been skiing a lot lately. I don't know how much longer the ski resort's going to be open, but there's always backcountry. Um, so, yeah, trying to stay just like physically active is certainly something that I'm I'm on. Um, and definitely, I've gotten back into um, a good meditation routine, um, which I think is super helpful. So, I'm, I'm definitely kind of giving myself that extra time in the day to to wake up slowly, um, kind of have a morning routine to ease into the day, try not to look at the news, you know, first thing when I wake up and, uh, and then, um, fill in the rest of my time. I'm trying to, you know, learn, use this opportunity to, to learn some stuff. I had bought a a Vectorworks training somewhere last year that I, you know, been able to get through about 30% of, um, before I got busy again. So I've got that to look forward to. Um, that'll be great to, to finish that off. I know that MA just put um, like that, the, uh, or sorry, ACT put their, their academy up for free. Um, so you can do all the MA learning for MA3, which I'm not sure I'm going to do because I'll probably just forget it before I use it. But um, I'm definitely, I'm having uh, Solotech send me a uh, 
MA wing so I can clean up my show file and, you know, just like that whole to-do list of things that you want to do, but you're too busy to do. Um, got a ton of, ton of those things, clean up the website, that type stuff. And then, um, I'm hoping to find some, some volunteer opportunities as well. Um, you know, we went through a really big snowstorm here last year that shut down our town for, for about a week. And, uh, we were without power for a long time. We have a lot of elderly people in the community. So we have a good base of kind of volunteers and a good group of people, um, from that, that we're kind of reconnecting with and, and trying to see like how we can allow kind of the, the more vulnerable people in the community to stay more isolated while some of, you know, the younger ones like us can, can grab them groceries. And, and we're just trying to figure out what that looks like and what we can do. Um, and then, um, I'm working with, uh, Sooner brought me in on, um, a project she's working on called life from, from nowhere, um, which is trying to raise, um, uh, money for people in the entertainment industry that have been affected by this. Um, they're trying to get artists to, uh, to do, I guess, live stream, not live stream. Well, some of them be live, but, um, little concerts from, from their house, um, using social distancing methods and, um, and having, uh, you know, creatives like us, uh, help them kind of build something that's unique. And then they're looking for, um, people in the industry to, to provide like crew footage and, and crew testimonials and, and things like that. So, um, I kind of encourage everybody to check life for, for nowhere or life from nowhere out. Yeah. I just got that same email. I'm going to work on that later tonight with my wife. We're going to put together a song. Be oh, great. It sounds like you are uh, actively seeking all the silver linings that exist. That is kind of my, my norm. (laughs) Um, it's, I did have a little mini meltdown earlier in the week. I was paying attention to the news, just like constantly checking for updates on my phone for stuff like that and, and not keeping busy with, with, you know, positive things. And it just, it'll hit you hard if, if, if you focus on the wrong stuff. So you can always choose to focus elsewhere. And uh, I think that's the best we can do. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to feel myself change mentally and physically into this new, I don't think it's an overstatement to say this is a new world. I mean, everything is basically changed. Uh, I had a thing this morning where my, I had had to go out shopping yesterday and it was, it's not, uh, it's not a Mad Max apocalypse situation appears. It was fairly leisurely, but to to get vegetables was kind of a a task. And I brought those home and we cooked them up. And then my daughter was like, oh, green beans. I don't like green beans. (laughs) And I had this moment where I'm like, you'll eat your goddamn green beans because I had to go <laughs> get the, out into the out into the world. And I, and I felt it in my body. I'm like, oh, the, like this this feeling of scarcity, which is so irrational. There's no scarcity other than, you know, toilet paper and some disinfectant was the only thing that was not at the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah, people are not stocking up on vegetables. They are, they're, for some reason, really worried about toilet paper, which is about the easiest thing to to find a solution around. Um, <laughs> it was God. so weird that I was like, this is a new feeling that I haven't had in my, in my 41 years of existence. I've never had the feeling of scarcity because the, the supermarket's always been stocked. I've always had online purchasing since I've had a credit card there's always been online purchasing you know yeah it was weird I had to like sit and meditate on that one for a while like well clearly we are not actually in any sort of scarce environment you know we're just just, we all have to just sit on our couches for a while that's hardly a, a national catastrophe in that regard I know we're being asked to take a time out and we're all freaking out because we don't know how to sit in silence. Like (laughs) it's kind of interesting, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's such a shock and such a change from, from our norm. I think we all have to be kind of just kind to ourselves about these, these changes and, and, you know, the feelings that they're bringing up. And um, I I think it like all these feelings are, are, they're very human nature. Like we're not used to giant changes. 
even though things are changing all the time and we like to think things are staying the same, like that's just a giant illusion, but, um, (laughs) absolutely is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, it's, it's funny the herd mentality of, of like the toilet paper thing. Cause like, honestly, if people had decided that like we all needed to buy like frozen corn, literally everybody would be, Oh oh my God, we're out of frozen corn. You know, like it's just, it like they see one thing going and we're like, well, it is, it's it's scarcity mode where you're just like, Oh, I have to have that because everybody thinks we need to have that. Man. I wish we were that rational that we all thought like we should probably get some, uh, some corn and some, beetroot and some echinacea and something you know something that actually may have an effect and may help us yeah well you know there's the grocery stores are still open so um everybody gets a second and a third chance at this (laughs) hopefully um and you know i hope people are, are taking advantage of the the technology that we have to to limit our interactions right now it's like so many places you can you can order your groceries online and have them um either pulled for you or you know if you're in a city possibly even delivered to you um and anything that we can do to to limit our interactions i think we should be taken advantage of yeah it's it's tough because our our industry is built on interactions we're literally the gathering industry yes we all are very aware that we're completely reliant on one another, uh, I would imagine for a lot of times you're reliant on your clients, you're reliant on your operators, your directors, uh, everybody. We're all so connected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, work is my main social network, so it is it is tough being cut off from that. Like, Are you in the same boat as me? Whereas when I lived in Vegas, I had lots of friends around me, and then when we moved... Uh, being an adult, moving to a new town, it's really hard to make new friends. I don't have a lot of, I don't have a network of friends up here outside of my family other than, you know, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. And I just don't have a lot of people that I would it, call confidants up here. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I um, well, for the first four years that I lived up here, all I did was work. And so like, it's pretty much impossible to to make friendships and real connections when you meet somebody and then you're like, Oh, I'm going to be gone for three months. Let's get together for a beer when I get home. Like, it's just a very odd kind of thing. But that was part of me deciding to take time off last year was I wanted to have a, a network of friends to, to come home to. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've really worked hard on, on, on building that. And, um, I, I do have some good friends around here now, which is, which is wonderful. And, Thank God. Um, otherwise, I'd be going crazy right about now. <laughs> I will have to add that to the... I'll have to move that up on my priority list then. I'll have to go knock on some doors and like, hey, so we're all <laughs> home. Will you Will you be my friend? Can we be friends now? <laughs> Hello, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. I've never met. I know we've seen each other, but yes, we, we should definitely be friends now. Yeah, bake some bread. Take it over there. Yeah, I've got a lot of people that are like my daughter's friends parents that we hang out we do birthday parties and stuff like that but actually i'm in the same boat they'll invite me to something i'm like oh i'm gone they'll invite me to another one oh i'm gone yeah so now well, now's the time and take you know when you're not gone just take advantage of all the opportunities you get right <laughs> so being so connected and being dependent uh you are a designer and a director and do you, and a programmer. And <laughs> I like programmer. to do all the things. <laughs> you can do all of it. Do you find that you prefer doing all all of it or do you prefer collaborating? I am a highly collaborative person. So at whatever level I'm working on, whether that's design programming or like directing, I'd love to have some amount of collaboration. Um, but I am also a control freak. So um, as much of what I can do myself, I can. Um, I, I really love to do that. But I think as you get, you know, onto larger and larger projects, you do have to start um, letting go of, of control of, of certain aspects and, and finding a team that you that you trust um, that understands your vision and is willing to work towards your vision, but also knowing that they have their own talents um, and ideas and 
I'm of the mindset that like, I don't care who came up with the idea. Like we all look better if the show looks as good as it can. So whoever had the best idea, we're going to put that idea in the show. I it, like, I try and have zero ego about that type of stuff. Cause like if the show looks good, nobody knows who came up with the idea. They just know that your, your name is attached to the show. Um, and, um, yeah, I just, I, th I think we all, we all have our, our strengths and our limitations and, and, uh, yeah, finding people that kind of fill in the gaps where, where you're a little bit limited and, and letting them like shine and do what they do. I think we all end up in a better place when we collaborate. Yeah, that's that's amazing to be a control freak with uh, with minimal ego. That's 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 very Hey, look, I said I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I have zero ego about it, but I try very hard. I try to check myself when, you know, like I, we all do get attached to to ideas that we have um and um but yeah, letting other people um you know, show, show you something and then you can discuss it. But I, I think that's, you know, the role of the, the designer is to, to have the vision and to, um, to, to steer the ship, but that doesn't mean other people's ideas aren't valid, um, in getting, getting there or, you know, sometimes you need to change course. As a director, I've always been very fortunate to have designers that really kind of rely on me quite a bit to make a lot of the looks and they'll, they'll, they'll put the lights on the truss they'll do rehearsals. We'll do everything. They'll do like the first one or two shows. And then, uh, I don't reach back out to them unless there's a major change or anything, uh, majorly political or something. Yeah. Is that, is that what works for you? Or do you like to, what do you like? What process do you prefer? I love to go out with the show. And I think that's because I really adore the programming process. Like, I, th I think that's my favorite part of things is, is seeing the show and, and those first few weeks where things aren't quite settled on, on the tour and you're, you're re you know, nobody gives, I mean, sometimes you get performers to give their all in rehearsals, but for the most part, you're still working it out um, for those first few weeks on tour. And so I think that's my favorite part is seeing the, the progress in the show. So I like to take it out and, and direct for like the first like three to six weeks of a tour and really feel like I've dialed in the show before I hand it off to a director. Um, but I've also been lucky to, to have some projects where I wasn't available to do that. And I had, a, you know, had great directors. Like I had Megan Doherty on, on um, St. Vincent and she was there from the rehearsal process and um, we kind of, we co-programmed it and I knew I could trust her to, to make decisions when I wasn't there and to, make the show her own and, and, but also hold true to, you know, the vision that we'd come up with. So it can work both ways, but I, I do really love getting to kind of feel like I finished out a project before I leave it. Cause I, I, I always feel like there's something a little bit incomplete when I leave it with a director, not to say that it won't end up in a, in a great spot, but that, um, you know, it's just, it's my vision and I, I love to be able to see it through the process. That kind of sounds like you are working on your control freak. It sounds, 100%. Like, you, it sounds like you're working your way towards, towards uh, giving up some of the reins and uh, it looks like you've chosen some really good people to take your shows out. Megan's a great choice. Oh my God. She's amazing. Yeah. I think, you know, and I think that's the hardest thing is, is, is finding people that you trust um, and that you work well with. Um, and those people are always busy. So when you find one and then you're like, great, we can work on something together. And then you, you know, the next time, of course they're booked because they're great. They're always out on things. So yeah, <laughs> keeping that roster of, of, of good people, uh, available is tough. Do you find that it helps you when you have to come up with a fresh new vision for a song? Uh, I'm thinking specifically of metric who you've been with for many years. I'd imagine uh, each new touring cycle, they'll repeat some of the songs and they're like, okay, give us the same song with a different look and recreate it, but keep it the same. Yeah. I think uh, metric was an interesting one because we didn't end up having a lot of time um, for pre-production, just the way that they were going into the tour. They were kind of, um, you know, they started um, as an, 
like they started the album cycle opening for Smashing Pumpkins and then they did a small Europe tour and then they did a US like club and theater tour and then we finally ended up in in arenas in Canada so it was like this slow build thing where like they didn't have you know time and money to do giant rehearsals before they were going out on a you know opening act kind of thing so we ended up using the you know just starting from the old show file um and and so yeah it was a challenge to kind of shake myself out of um well, this worked last time, so let's just use it again. And um, But, you know, uh, when song structures don't change, like it's nice to come in with some of that timing already built in there because um, some things are are correct, you know? Like, <laughs> like if the song isn't changing a ton, you're still going to have those big hits and those big moments. And so it's, you know, it's about finding new ways to interpret it a lot of times. But I think you know, you're also very much, you don't have the same rig. And so that, that really gives you the ability to, to reimagine things. And, um, I, th I think that's, that's always helpful is, is that, you know, your, your, your things are in different places, so it can't ever look exactly the same. Um, but yeah, sometimes I find myself being like stuck in like a, a color kind of like this song is this color. I think that's the thing that's the hardest for me to, to break out of sometimes, but um, certainly trying to, to reimagine a different color palette per tour helps with that. And um, I don't know. Um, yeah, it was really helpful. You know, once we finally um, got like the full rig up and going, I had Michael Brown creating content um, and he was, he was great at kind of just like, you know, I'd be like, I don't want to do the same thing over and over again here. I've definitely done it and just kind of being like, you got any ideas? So <laughs> that's one of the one things in our industry that's really tough is you want to stay loyal to the people that work well for you. But sometimes you have to, you have to either have to push them further than they're comfortable to go to come up with a new idea, or you just have to go to somebody else and you have to say like, Hey, I, I'm going to go a, a new direction. And I, it's always such a touchy, su touchy situation there. Um, how, do, how do you mean? Just like having had somebody on a tour previously and then bringing in like... Uh, so what I'm thinking... Sorry, I, I, I kind of took a, a left turn there on you. I was thinking about how we would have content for one song with some one person and they did a great job, but then we would do... <laughs> Uh, the next tour, and even though the, the last person did such a great job, we were, we're going to have to go a different direction and get another content designer because we just what we're for is out of your wheelhouse. Yeah, sorry, one second. Yeah, uh, I'm at the same. I'm in the same sort of situation right now. I've got uh, I got my kids here and the dogs in the house. I usually try and uh, do these podcasts when it's quiet, but uh, it's impossible now because the kids are just running around they're not at school my uh my wife's at home she's cooking there's <laughs> really no there's no there's no uh there's no safe space anymore yeah i'm i'm surprised we made it as long as we did without my dog barking that is his like mo any any sort of sound and he he needs to to announce it to to the world so <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about I, that, everybody. That's Gus. I like to believe that there was a burglar outside and Gus just scared them away without you even knowing it. Yeah. What's funny is that like, he's like totally on duty through like most of the day. And then about eight o'clock, he just doesn't care. And like <laughs> literally like, you know, I've come home at midnight sometimes and like, he shouldn't, like, there's no way that he like knows it's me and he'll just like stay. He won't even come check to see if it's me. He'll just be in his bed and you're just like, what sort of guard dog are you? Like, I need you at night, not during the day. <laughs> yeah. Gus is off the clock. Yeah. He is. He's totally off the clock. He's, he, he did his duty. He thinks he's, he's 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. and he's done his job. So, so yeah, <laughs> so I, I kind of took a left turn on you, but I was thinking about how Michael Brown and I, I love him. He's got such a great vision. Oh, always. How you would just love to use him over and over and over again, but I don't know if, if that's always the best way to get a, a fresh look at a song that's been 
It's been yeah over again. So it is. It is. It's um. I think that's one of those things that you look at every tour and it's just like finding, finding the people that are going to serve the vision for the tour that like current tour instead of what you've done in the past. And I think everybody understands that, that, you know, even with, with artists, um, there's definitely artists that are super loyal to having their same crew. And there's, there's some that, you know, they just like to go out and mix it up because that gives them, them, new looks and I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to, to collaborate with other people. I think, you know, just like everything in this industry, just don't take it personally. It's not, yeah, personal, that's all, that's you know, a tough one sometimes <laughs> that's great advice. Uh, where do you usually go to for your fresh inspiration? Is it, is it, um, uh, other people? Is it the forest? Is it, uh, online? A lot of things. Um, I always try and take advantage of the time that I have when I'm in big cities. So like if I have a day off in New York, I'm definitely going to find my way into a museum. Um, if, you know, if I'm day off on a Monday and museums are closed, you're going to find me like just kind of walking around cities a lot. Um, I, I think you can find a lot of inspiration where you have large gatherings of people. So even just like just getting out at all, making sure you're not just sitting in your hotel room. Um, and I like to, you know, I take photos and kind of make, um, Pinterest boards a lot from, from the things that I'm, I'm seeing out there. And I'm always drawn to, or at least recently, um, very much just like simple shapes and repeating shapes, um, and kind of like forced perspective and things like that. So when I'm seeing things along those lines, I take photos of them and kind of organize those, those photos. And sometimes I do, you know, like if I have time, um, I'll even like, if I, if I see something like really inspiring, I'll kind of like do an exercise where like maybe I, I pull up Vectorworks and I kind of sketch out something that would, you know, be a design based on like whatever, um, you know, shapes that I, I saw that like, I was like, Oh, we could, we could really do something out of that. Um, and then what else? I mean, I love collaboration. So when I'm in, you know, the design process with a band, if I can get them to, to be on board with, with, uh, getting involved, I think that's always, always fun. I think it can get a little messy from time to time because their, their ideas can really be out there. But, um, you know, I think that's your job as the designer to distill that into something that works for them. And, but, um, the thing, the trick I always like to use is just asking for like three adjectives, um, with collaboration where you're like, can you, can you just give me three things that you like, you're really into, um, it doesn't have to be adjectives really, but, um, I think that's always a fun, fun jumping off point. Um, and then, yeah, I think, maybe not so much inspiration from, from nature. I'm sure there is some of it, but just like, I, I feel like that's where I, I do all my, my processing, you know, kind of like you think about something you hit, you hit a roadblock and then you go for a walk and it, it's just kind of like working on it in the background. With the Dixie chicks, did they uh, bring you the inspiration or did they lean on you to find most of it? Um, I am just the lighting designer on that one. So I, uh, uh, so Rob Sinclair and Sean Farmer are doing okay. the creative direction on that. And so, um, it's, it's mainly been me working with Rob. Um, he and, he and Sean will have the, the conversations. I'll get some renders from them and, uh, we'll have a discussion. I'll ask whatever questions I can come up with. And then, um, I build, I build lights around, um, the beautiful things that they've come up with. We've gone through okay couple of different you're just fulfilling renders you're trying to make uh, make the stage look like the renders um basically well the renders meaning that they you know uh rendering just the the set design out and then i'll, I'll build lights around the set got it yeah and what about with metric do, do they uh do they collaborate with you or do they just kind of present you with what their their ideas are or do they, do they um, lean on you Kind of both. We started out the process last time around is uh, like we had several chats and there were a lot of ideas going around and a lot of back and forth and idea boards and, and whatnot. And um, we we came up with, um, you know, some really fun ideas um, and they uh, but they eventually kind of were like, you know, this this looks good and it certainly looks like what we were asking, but like 
they, they just felt like they were getting in the way. And eventually Jimmy, the guitarist was like, how about you just like create something that you like really want to do for us. And so they eventually just gave me carte blanche and that's where we actually came up with the design. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's a a sign of respect. Yeah. I love working with them. We have such a great, uh, relationship and, and, and I think it goes both ways, you know, like if, if they're going to ask me for something, I know that there's a reason for it. And so, um, if, if I feel like it's a bad idea, I I will always tell them why I think that, but ultimately it's their show. And I feel that way with, with any of my clients, like it's, it's their show. So whatever they want is what they, you know, that's, I'm, I'm here to serve their needs. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, they do really trust me to um, tell them if something's a bad idea and they'll generally believe me and, and we'll, we'll try something different. But a lot of times they'll be like, just try it and see what happens. And it turns out to be a good idea. And, and they do the same with me where I'm like, Hey, let's, let's just give this a shot. Like if we need to change something, let me know. But like, I think this is going to work. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I adore working with them. That sounds magical. It is. <laughs> Do you often have to have to sell them on any of the stuff that you've created? If they're giving you full, full creativity, do you have to like, okay, look, so here, this is a crazy idea. I, I want to really see this through to its end. Do you have to convince them? Um, you know, the, our, our um, tour manager has been really uh, great about um, kind of helping in that process as well. David Timmons, he's, he's really connected with the band. And, um, a lot of times he and I will discuss those, those things and then kind of like present it to the band to kind of have like a, uh, more support behind the idea before we, we get there, but they're generally pretty on, on board with things. They, but they do like to know the details, um, of why it's going to work out. And, but I, I think a lot of times they just, uh, they just want to trust the people that they have on board. And I think that's, that's a big thing for them is like, they've had the same crew for a good long time now because they trust everybody and it, it really makes them feel, you know, safe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like both on the, the audio side and the management side and um, with, with creative, like they just like, they know that the team has their best interest at heart and everybody's working their hardest. So um, they feel like they can let go of a lot of the decisions some of the time. Um, they do, they, they do like being involved for sure. So, um, we did have to, yeah, selling them on, on purchasing the, the Septron wall was, was fun. They'd never done any, any custom build before, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, David was really, really helpful in, in, in the number side of things and, and getting them on board with it. So, yeah. Ooh, convincing the band to buy gear. That's, uh, that's an impressive step. Most people are yeah. much more comfortable renting. Yeah. So sometimes it makes sense though. You know, if you look at the numbers over a long enough time and, and you know, it's something that you can use, um, in creative ways over and over again, and maybe, maybe be able to use, get two tours out of it. And then of course you can always sell the gear at the end of it. Um, it, it can make sense. Yeah. Did that require a business manager involved or was that straight to the band and the tour? It was uh, me and me and David, and then I'm sure he worked with the the business manager on on it. But um, and and getting the band on board with spending that amount of money. But yeah, David David and I did a lot of rounds of budgeting. Yeah, see, that's why I never went full designer. Dealing with that amount of that that level of politics and accounting is just not. I'm sure I could be capable of it, but I I really don't enjoy that. It sounds like you've really had to take a step out of your, your programmer role and say, Hey, no, I have to, I really have to embrace the politics and the, the salesmanship of designership. Yeah. I like that part of the, I like that there's so many different things that you can do with what, what we do. And for a long time, I did shy away from designing because I didn't like the negotiating um, and the politicking part of it, but just like anything you get, you know, you get used to it, the more you practice at it. And, um, it, it is just ultimately really fulfilling to see your ideas come, come to life. So, um, even though I, I have to say like designing is certainly the hardest and most anxiety inducing portion of (laughs) what we do, um, or what I do. Um, but that's where you get your dopamine hits, huh? 
Uh, well, the dopamine hits are with the strobes, but um, <laughs> <laughs> when 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 you finally see it like come to life, that's I think the like worst day in a design process is is the day that you you get your custom manufactured stuff in, and you're just like, is it going to work? Because you you never know. Like you have to pull the trigger to manufacture these things. You know, you can you can render things out and you. You know, you have an idea of how lights are going to interact, but you never know until you see it. And so that is just always like a gut-wrenching day when you get that delivery or you're walking in to, to see this thing that you've already spent all this money on um, and to see it in action for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I remember coming to see Chromio. Uh, which was one of the ones that you had done. And I don't remember if it was Patrick or David, but they were just staring straight into the strobes. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. I don't, I've never seen it before. I, I'm trying to remember if he even had sunglasses on, but he was basically, you had some, some atomic 4Ks left and right. Yep. And he would just stare into the strobe in full nuke mode. Yeah, I, I honestly, some artists can deal with it and some artists can't. I am always impressed with the ones that can't. Like, I, I can totally understand why people would not be able to deal with that. Like, it's kind of an unreasonable thing to ask people to do. Um, and, I mean, I, I I can't believe the stuff that I put um, the St. Vincent band and Annie through. Like, they had, each of them had 16 flares under them on clear they had clear risers just straight up blasting them <laughs> um i i don't know how they they dealt with it but um yeah every now and again they would they'd be like during this part of the song if you could maybe like turn off a few so i have a a, a like a spot that i can focus on um like a, a clean place to put my eyes uh we were able to work out some of that stuff um but uh yeah that was that was it was uh impressive what they were willing to put up with being on the other side of the lights uh is always so much easier to watch you like well i have to light you (laughs) you actually go and you become the focus dummy or something and you see just how bright those lights are you're like wow this is (laughs) tough and yeah i mean our lights are you know up to fifty thousand lumens but the strobes that we're talking hundreds of thousands of lumens (laughs) like yeah Man, and not eyes are not designed for that. They are absolutely not designed for that. Um, and then to to you know be playing an instrument <laughs> at the same time, you know, like it, it's hard enough to just stand there and take it, but to actually perform during it, and not you know, and to look good, and not squint your eyes and try and like hide from it. I I honestly don't know how they do it, but you know, again, if an artist can't then of course we find a a way around it it's not like i'm gonna tell them they have to (laughs) i have to imagine it's it's muscle memory at at a certain level you just your hands are just doing what they are doing so you don't actually need to see them anymore yeah it must be um and then probably looking up into the balcony (laughs) just look as far away from the lights as you can uh do you get a lot of inner audience interaction with your with your bands do they come out into the audience and actually interact Uh, or intermingle uh you mean like the the performers getting out into the audience yeah um yeah i think with with metric we like try and find some moments for that from time to time um or at least like getting them closer to the audience, um, like getting out on the subs and, and things like that. Um, especially in the, the bigger rooms, they really like to feel connected to, to the audience. So trying to find ways to, to at least get them closer. Um, trying to think. Um, I've had no, a not- mixture in my bands. The, some of them actually really, really love having the audience there and seeing them and being a part of them. And I've had other bands that are just, fourth wall works both ways and they're just look we're doing a show and they're watching us and i'm interested to see if that has anything to do with the amount of lighting that they receive interesting um i you know i don't know that that's 
that would be the case. They're like, like they want to escape all the lights that I've <laughs> put them in. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chromio certainly is, is very interactive with the crowd and, and they're, they're, they very much wanted to, to have the crowd lit a lot of the times and like having the crowd, you know, like step with them side to side. They, they did a lot with, with the crowd there. Um, but uh, yeah, the St. Vincent show was very much a, just like, it's the same show dialed in and she, you know, she doesn't really leave from, you know, where she, where she's at on stage. And both of those were, were relatively murderous with strobes. So tough to say. It was Chromio. He had the, the mirrored guitar and he would shine uh-huh. uh, Sharpies, or <laughs> multiple Sharpies at the multiple. guitar. <laughs> And then he would use that to bounce that out to blind the audience, if I remember. Oh, my God. That got a few lighting directors fired for not getting that correct. <laughs> I would tell people over and over again, look, you're taking this show out. There's one thing that Dave cares about, and it is the guitar focus. Make sure, for the love of God, you get the guitar focus right. Like, have the tech go out. Like, I explain everything. And, and um, if, if you get that wrong, even one night, you're, you're just out. He loved that thing. It was his favorite. It was basically 10 Sharpies aimed at his guitar that he would blind the entire audience with? Yeah, I think we had, I don't remember how many, how many we had, but really any, any Sharpie that was downstage of him, we would focus at the guitar. Um, The more, the more, the better. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's, that one was funny. The day we figured that one out in rehearsals, I like, you know, he was like a kid in a candy store. He was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to connect to your audience. I'm just gonna. I've been. I'll take. I'll take the 15 songs of being blinded, and you guys take this moment where I get to blind you back. Yes, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Enjoy. You're part of the show now. That sounds. That sounds. Like you're finding art, you're finding new things. It sounds like you're, uh, I would imagine that's one of the things you can only do if you're out on the tour for a certain amount of time. You have to find that one in the middle of the show. Like, hey, I just found this and I love it. Let's let's do this for the rest of the tour. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I like working with bands that like to kind of curate the same show nightly and really dial it in. Like, I, I think that's really where I specialize is is finding the details and and doing something that, that is the same over and over. Like I have a ton of respect for people that are out there with bands that are doing different shows every night. It seems a whole lot harder, honestly, um, to me to to try and figure it out on the on the fly. But I think that's the thing that just like lights up the you know happy center in my brain is is looking at a show over and over again and dialing in in all the details and, you know, getting that timing down to the exact right moment. And, um, just, just the cleaning up and finishing out of the show is just delightful for me. So it sounds like out on the road and at home, you're always looking for the silver linings. Yes. (laughs) It's helpful. (laughs) Thank you so much for all of your time. I appreciate you, uh, being able to come and converse with me. I always appreciate our time together. Oh, me too. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on.